The political right is concerned with moral pollution. The political left is concerned with environmental pollution. The two concerns seem worlds apart, but are they? Today we'll discuss that question with Dr. Benjamin Weicker, author of the new book, In Defense of Nature, The Catholic Unity of Environmental, Economic, and Moral Ecology. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Strategic Relations at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Welcome to Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, uh, Vice President of Strategic Relations at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. I'm joined in our studios with our regular panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, uh, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization, again at Franciscan, and Dr. Benjamin Weicker, uh, uh, a political science professor here at the university, a, uh, uh, the Director of the Human Life Studies, as well as a senior fellow at our Veritas Center. Um, and you got your, your PhD from Vanderbilt in That's true. Uh, theology, uh, the, theolo theological theological ethics. ethics. Yeah. And uh, you're author of over 10 books. And the book that we're going to be talking about today is In Defense of Nature, The Catholic Unity of Environmental, Economic, and Moral Ecology. Wow, that's a mouthful. But uh, yeah, that's, that's the whole book. That's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is great. So let's start off. Uh, you, you start this in the, in the very beginning of the book. You ask the question, um, you know, is, what is a, a Catholic ecology and is it possible? So let's just start from the very beginning. What, what are we talking about? Well, uh, it's, it's Catholic with a small c, although it leads to Catholic with a big c. And the focus of it is, uh, the, the original meaning of, of Catholic is universal. Right. So it's a, a new understanding of ecology, which embraces not only our normal understanding, okay. ecology in regard to the environment, yeah. uh, but also human ecology, that is, human beings as moral beings. So it covers all of nature, both nature and human nature, and shows the connection between them. Okay. All right. So it's, build, it's building a coherent, comprehensive understanding of, of ecology. Let's hope so. Uh, <laughs> in, in the, you know, as you know, in the current debates, you've got left against right, and they keep beating each other up, and we don't seem to be getting anywhere. Uh, and so hopefully we're going to bring people together on a common task, a common understanding of uh, ecology, which we can understand and regard both to human nature and into nature and see, well, they've got to be connected because we're natural beings. All right, so, so you, you, let's just go right there. So you, okay. you talk about the, the nature that is out there, mm -hmm. and you talk about the nature that's, that's here, the yeah. human nature. Yeah. You know, why, why do they or how do they inter interact, and, and why do they? Well, it's weird that we even have to ask that question because we think, well, I, I think that I'm an animal in the sense of uh, uh, I've got a lot of animal parts. I <laughs> walk upright. Uh, you know, I've got lungs and a heart, and I have blood. Uh, and uh, I breathe air, I take in water, those things, uh, but we are a very special animal, um, one uh, endowed with an immortal soul, and hence a moral animal. So they're, yeah. they're connected, and they're obviously connected when you go out to a place that's polluted, right. and it looks bad to you, and you realize it's harming human nature, right. as well as nature out there. Mm -hmm. right. And so, uh, so when we pollute the environment, well, that's not out there. It's, it's going to come back to us, as well as damage other things. 
So what you're really doing is sort of striking a balance. I, I think of the rhythm of nature, and I think of you as the metronome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because on the one hand, you know, you're, you're looking at environmental issues, mm. ecological disasters, of which there are many. On the other hand, you're also looking, looking at human ecology to show how sexual immorality, perversion, yep. Internet pornography, addictions, and so on. These things are catastrophic too, yes. both externally and internally. And in that way, you're striking a chord that's similar to what Pope Francis is doing, because I assume that Laudato Si is sort of a partial inspiration behind this. You actually wrote that. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it, it is, and it's a, a woefully misunderstood encyclical. I think people. Yeah. Uh, uh, both reported on and read maybe two paragraphs on global warming, and that was the end of their reading of it. Right. Well, that's all the media wanted you to focus on. That's all the media wanted you to focus on. 98% of it is pure, wonderful Catholic doctrine uh, about creation and human nature in creation and human ecology. Yeah. yeah. So the combination of Laudato Si and Amoris Laetitia, you know, yeah. where you have that moral ecology yes. as well as the environmental. Yes. Yeah. And once again, people send, tended to obsess with chapter 8, footnote 351. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not read the whole yeah. thing. And, right. you know, it, it's a little wordy. Both of them are. But yeah. there's a lot of rich content, as you see. Yeah. There is, and, and it was, in fact, an inspiration. Uh, it, but I didn't want to just have a book on it. You know, I thought it needed a wider and deeper account so that the people will be inspired to read the encyclical. But also, there's all kinds of things we can read about the goodness of nature, the wonderful order of nature, why we need to protect nature, and human nature. So it's wider than the encyclical, but hopefully uh, we'll bring the encyclical back for people to read with some deeper understanding. You know, uh, what, what strikes me about your book is that it really testifies to the awful mess we're in. <laughs> uh, I mean, the scale yeah. of yeah. the confusion that people uh, face. Yeah. Because it's really a commonplace idea that the two natures merge, right. human nature and the extra mental reality out there. But yet, the way you weave together your analysis is positively inspired, mm. and yet it's perfectly banal. I mean, why don't people <laughs> yeah, get that's this? Why, why did I have to write this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but really, you're, you're, you're writing with a Catholic publisher, Emmaus Road, but you really have a lot of secular minds uh, yeah. in mind yeah. when, you're, when you're writing. This. Absolutely. Uh, what, what I'm trying to do is find common ground in nature. Yeah. And what the goal of this would be to have the left and the right come together. The right yeah. is generally concerned with moral ecology, we can call it that, yeah. the, the, the bad effects the, of all the awful things we're doing to human nature, yeah. and the left is concerned with environmental ecology. Right. And it should seem obvious that why should I even have to point this out, that the two are connected. Right. But what you have is an awful back and forth where uh, you know the left will will embrace environmental uh, ecology and they'll understand the deep order of nature, why you shouldn't violate it, why it's even morally bad to violate it, but then they'll violate human nature all over the place. Right. And then what happens is, is, is that the right, and especially, uh, and also Christians, will react and say, well, if that's what, if that's what it means to take care of the environment, you, you want to have abortions and gay marriage, then, then I don't want to have any part of it. So they'll go out and burn trees, you know, pollute just to, to prove their point. Normally, apologetics deals with the existence of God and miracles and prophecy and these sorts of things that establish motives of credibility on the basis of reason. All of that, of course, is pre-evangelistic. Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is pre-apologetic. Yes. You know, in a certain sense, you're restoring natural reason's capacity to understand the natural order, yeah. including ourselves as spiritual substances called souls, yeah. as well as the world around us. You know? But I think in the process, what you're really targeting 
uh, is not the left and the right, but what they share in common. Yes. The common ground is this skewed notion of nature that you call Baconian, you know? <laughs> and uh, I, I think you have to clarify that because, you know, it's sort of like in Princess Bride, nature. You know, I don't think that word means what you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it is true. Our, we have a distorted understanding of nature, and you're absolutely right. Both the left and right understand it on their own terms, but just not universally. And that comes from... Uh, largely from Francis Bacon hmm. in the early 1600s when the view of nature came about that it, was real, it wasn't something created by God. It didn't have a good order. Right. It was merely a material, the result of, of random process. A mechanism. A right. mechanism. Yeah, kind of brute, insensate matter. Exactly. Like free control, control, domination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then what we realize is, well, we're not going to get what we want if we leave nature alone, we need so to manipulate it. We need to <laughs> manipulate it. We need to get technological mastery over it. And that's yeah. Bacon's big cry, yeah. is that we need to become, the, as he says, the masters and possessors of nature. We're not talking about Kevin Bacon here either. This is, Ro- <laughs> this is no, no Roger Bacon. This is Francis Bacon. Right, right. Uh, this is Francis Bacon in the early 1600s. What, was so he in Princess Bride? <laughs> no, it was a cameo. I, I missed it was that a cameo, scholarly yeah. citation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah, recovery time. Uh, the, 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 the problem with Bacon, the left realizes that when you start mastering nature as, as if you can just brutally treat it just to get right. whatever you want out of it. Satisfy your passions, your pleasures, uh, uh, any kind of consumerist delight that you're only here in this world to right. get as much out of nature, as much pleasure and as least pain as you can. Uh, the left realizes that's the cause of a lot of our you know, environmental misery. Right, right. But Bacon also meant to include human nature. Right. And the mastery of human nature. He saw human nature as flawed, not in the sense that there was sin, right. but in the sense that, well, if it was randomly contrived by nature, human art can reform it. Right. It, we right. can actually master our own nature. Well, that's what we see today in the attempts to literally reinvent gender every few minutes. Uh, to um, uh, fiddle around with the genes, to cross things that you shouldn't do, to manipulate uh, all acts of human reproduction. That's bacon applied to human nature. And now uh, the left doesn't seem to have as much problem with that, but the right does. So folks, get together. Maybe it's just a bad idea all the way around to believe that we're God. You're asking us uh, to transcend the dialect. Yes, absolutely. It's just false. It's not even a dialect. It's it's, it's, it's just screaming. It's babbling. (laughs) And recover an authentic uh, uh, picture or image of man who's a composite of body and soul. Yes, absolutely. Get beyond the Cartesian uh, uh, dualism. By all means, get beyond Descartes. And I know you you have a bigger context than just um, uh, Laudato Si. uh, Oh, yeah talk about in here but but really that that encyclical did challenge me thinking about man's place within creation you know and yeah. and, and I really knowing that creation pre-existed man yeah. uh, and I think there's there's a beautiful part and you really spend the first couple of chapters really looking at what we'd all understand as uh, commonly as ecology looking yeah. at creation issues mm-hmm. but putting them in a bigger context yeah. um, you know so so as you look at it looking back in our history how did our understanding of creation of you know, the natural ecology really change. I mean, so Bacon really had, you know, transformed yeah. us substantially. Yeah. I mean, it really has evolved over this time and it has influenced us in such a, a negative Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. And if, if you think that there is no God who has made a good order, right. then you're not going to see natural limits as defining moral limits. Right. You simply, that it doesn't, you know, all, all you ask then, it's all Bacon asked was, um, well, what can you do? 
That's his new argument. He says, I don't have an argument about words anymore. He says a logic of words. It's a logic of works. And all I say is, if... So the question is, is are human beings made in the image of God? In a way, is answered by Bacon by saying, well, let's fiddle with that and find out. Right, right. Let's change it. What can we we make out of human beings? The the category of possibility becomes the canon of permissibility. Mm. If I can do it, then damn it, I'll do it. Yeah, if you can do it, then, then then you should. And the good news is, now the good news is that there's a whole group of people who see the horror of that approach on the environment, yeah. because honest to goodness, you know, it makes things look like Mordor with a shopping center. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and they say, "Well, that's not good," because they feel something glorious in nature. Yeah. And if that could be, you know, awakened, say, "Well, you know, what you feel really is uh, the the presence of a wise, beautiful order." Yeah. Yeah. Awakened, but also expanded, expanded. enlarged, muchly personalized. You yeah. know. You know, I, I look at what is happening. It's not just a mechanistic approach to nature that is meant to be manipulated for our pleasure. It's also a conception of the soul, which is reduced down to the will and the will to power, Absolutely. the will to pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. This voluntarist yeah. impulse, we think, goes back to the 1960s when it really goes back to the 14 and the 1300s. It, it's, you know? it's a long, yeah. It's a, yeah. We've traced this <laughs> yeah, we've before. Traced this, yeah. you know, but this sort of moral genealogy, I think, needs to be rehearsed at times because People think, well, you know, we can get rid of this. It didn't happen you know, overnight. It no, didn't even happen no. in the last 50 years. I, I so. wish that it had. It would be much easier to deal with. But as you're saying, the, the primacy of the human will right. arises when you believe that nature is randomly contrived. Because right. then you're looking at it and you're trying to get from it an order which isn't there. And so you mistakenly think that it's ordered and it's ordered well and that there's a God. And Bacon calls all that into question. If God randomly willed nature this way, then we can randomly re-will it, as it were. Right. Yeah, you can, you can have a view of God, which is pure will, going back to somebody like Occam. Right. Or, or even, really, to the Islamic traditions. On the other hand, if our intellect is capable of perceiving the intelligibility, the beauty, the, beauty, the order, uh, the affinity between ourselves and our environment, then suddenly this dialectic between the right and the left you know, is transcendent, at least right. potentially. I have a good, a good friend who's a convert from the Mennonite tradition, and he's teaching at a very conservative Catholic school. And when Laudato Si came out, you know, like everybody else, I braced myself and then read it and learned a lot. <laughs> he loved it. Yeah. He yeah. loved it and, and spoke about it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I reread it as a result of the things that he said. And uh, I realize it's not it's not a standalone document. It taps into what Pope Benedict XVI absolutely was doing yeah, yeah. with uh, and John Paul it's, II it's, and John and going back to Blessed or Saint the Saint John Francis XXIII. first. Yeah, ever, uh, yeah. him too. Like a newcomer on the scene. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we got two very distorted views. Either we are the masters and the dominators and controllers and manipulators of nature, or nature now has become a god. Right? Well, isn't that strange that at the same time? Uh, once you declare uh, yourself to be the masters and possessors of nature, all of a sudden nature itself seems to master and possess you. You become right, right. the result of determined right. forces, so you go back and forth wildly in these extremes, often in the same person. You know, I'm, we, can, we can become gods on earth through technological mastery, and secondly, well, are actually determined by subatomic particles. And you think, right. well, which is it? You know? <laughs> yeah. And what happened is, this is the punishment, well, I'm going to give a theological spin, um, what happened is God gives you what you want. If you lose the truth, 
you will get the half-truths which will, will distort your entire understanding of yourself. That's right. So yeah. we get what we, you know, it's right. like hell, you get what you, you right. ask for. You sleep with falsehood. Yeah, That's you right. sleep with falsehood. Stay with us for the next segment of Franciscan University Presents. You know, one thing that I really appreciate about Dr. Wecker's work and in this new book, In Defense of Nature in particular, is the way he seeks to recover a sense of nature. It doesn't sound like we need that. We all know what nature is, but we really do. I think we can easily see that, unlike previous generations, we're pretty far removed from nature in terms of the way we live, urbanization, technology. And this, one of the, you know, I think biggest consequences of this is the fact that, um, you know, being removed from nature, we don't really understand where we fit into nature. I think previous generations and different cultures have had an appreciation for, the, for where we fit in among the other animals. And that gives them a sense of identity. And it, and it helps us know exactly, I think, how to live and how best to fit into nature. But being so far removed from nature, we can become confused about our place in it and how best to live our lives. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith and reason, wisdom and grace, mercy and truth. You'll study under world-class scholars and seasoned practitioners who are committed to Christ and His Church. With over 40 majors and pre-professional programs, you'll find the formation you need to succeed. At Franciscan University, you'll find more than just a college. You'll find yourself and an educational experience as singular as you are. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Benjamin Weicker about his new book, In Defense of Nature. Um, as, as we kind of wrapped up the last segment, um, we really began touching on the understanding of nature, right? And the, the, what we commonly understand as, as ecology. And, um, but the, the, we talked about kind of pollutants and stuff like that, but let's do a little trash talk. Let's, uh, let's talk trash. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what are some of the, 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 the sins, if you will, against nature? Well, um, first, I think the best thing for people to do, other than seeing Wally, which is one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, <laughs> is uh, go and l- visit a landfill, yeah. which I had to do. I, I didn't want to do it, uh, but I had to do it a long time ago when, when I was uh, poor and humble and had to take my own trash out to it. And you really see the extent to which our desire to consume and throw away hmm. uh, creates a kind of Mordor, which you can't possibly look at as a Christian and think, well, I feel like I'm taking care of, of God's good order. I feel like I'm, I'm being grateful for the beauty of nature. Right. Uh, you see what the effects of what we call consumerism, and uh, they're not pretty. They're out of sight, out of mind right. for most of us. But I happen to live near a landfill, so it was never out of nose uh, even if it was out of sight, and then I saw it, and a court, and the the left very rightly looks at this and says, "What are you doing? Um, you're wasting all the goodness of the earth, and then you're horrifying it on top of that." Yeah. And if we understand it in theological terms, which we should, yeah. um, it presents a violation of one of the four cardinal virtues, which is temperance or moderation. In other words, it's not a moderate use of the world's goods. Otherwise, you wouldn't create that much trash. You create a a kind of a throwaway culture where goods get cheaper and cheaper, uh, more expendable. um, Everything's prepackaged. It comes from long distances. You 
open it up, you throw away the yeah. wrapping, you consume it, and then you go get another thing. Um, but the fact that it's a moral violation should wake up the folks who are concerned about moral ecology because tomorrow, I guarantee you, if we embraced the virtue of moderation, the, the, the amount of stuff going to the landfill would drop dramatically. Right. Yeah. It would have other effects, too, on the right. economy. That is, doctors would be out of business. The diet industry would be out of business. Right. Yeah. Uh, the trash people would be wondering what they should do every every week. Well, I think a lot of television would disappear. Yeah. It's, isn't it mostly recycled uh, it is, yeah. landfills? It, it, it is. Um, and all our electronics, by the way, um, you know, we continually get new things. Oh, it's wonderful to get a new thing. Well, right. what happens to the old things? So... Um, one of the important things I'm bringing up in the book is we need to understand this as a moral violation of our soul. That is, yeah. this is an excellence, a virtue that people need, mm-hmm. moderation. It's how your soul relates to creation yeah. and to the material goods. But if that doesn't grab you, uh, 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 greed right. is one of the seven deadly sins. Right, right. Um, you know, so you've got... You, uh, You've got uh, um, violations of our moral nature, uh, the lack of virtues causing this problem. Now, what's important about that is that the left understands this is a bad thing. But they tend to be morally relativistic or even entirely secular. There's no God, there's no morality. But they want to blame that. And we have the language of blame. (laughs) Christianity can say, well, the reason this is bad is because it's actually evil. It's actually a sin. Okay. Uh, so we can talk about these things as uh, you know violations of our moral nature, but also violations of nature at the same time. Right. That should allow both sides to say, "Hey, there's a connection." Well, the the uh, the intemperance that you speak of uh, is really a function of a failure to observe an even greater virtue, which mm. is prudence, absolutely right? principle, absolutely. cardinal virtue, yeah. respect yeah. for reality, yeah, respect right. for reality, being the data of, of existence. Yes. I mean, Chesterton says the only sin is to call green grass gray. It's yeah. a lie, yeah. a calculated affront upon reality. If we could reintroduce reality, then we could see that nature is something to be reverenced, yeah. respected, right. venerated, almost genuflected before. I mean, you, you fall short of pantheism. You don't adore... I was people. wondering about that, whether you were falling short of that. No, no. I mean, you, <laughs> made, a, you made a very funny point yeah. in the beginning when you said the cedars of Lebanon, Lebanon uh, we can we can hug just so long as we don't turn them into icons, yeah, right, idols. Yeah. So we don't want to fall into yeah. that. I mean, that would be a blasphemous yeah. misuse of a good thing. But the recovery of the right use of nature requires a Christian vision of, of man, of the world. I mean, it, it's given, and gratitude is the first obligation yes, that we have yes, yes, to this world yes. because it's not something we made, we receive it, and yeah. we ought to honor it. We ought to honor it, and how can you look at that mess and think that we're honoring it? Yeah. yeah. You know? But isn't the logical outcome of this disposable culture abortion? Yeah. Well, it, it is. It's uh, a throwaway culture. It's a throwaway culture, yeah. um, and you, you, your belief is the thing that I want to feel now or that will entertain me now, or will bring me comfort now, is all that counts. And uh, and uh, it's perversely hooked up to a notion of economy, which is, well, the more you consume, the better off we all are. Yeah. So the more trash you make is a sign, you know, the bigger the landfill gets, the better uh, is, is our economy right. is. Right. And that's not a proper understanding of economy either. That is, what is the actual place of material goods in regard to the human life? Can we put them in the properly subordinate position 
of the other higher human goods. Right, right. right. This, this issue and the problems that we're raising, it's sort of like intellectually kaleidoscopic because there are so many parts that are continually moving, you know. We've already discussed uh, different cardinal virtues. I would point out one that you know from our conversations, and that is justice. You yeah. know? And not, oh, yeah. just, not just distributive and commutative, but the transcendent justice that St. Thomas refers to as potential because justice is giving to others what you owe them, but you can't give to your parents what they gave you because you can't give them life, you can't give to your country. And so the virtue of patriotism, and above all, in the natural moral law, there is this natural form of justice, which is natural religion. Cicero in De Ligibus yeah. speaks of this, even yeah. if he was sort of a, a skeptic himself at points. Nevertheless, he could see that religion is not just for individuals, but societies. Yeah. It's for private and public expression. Yeah. And it is right and just to give him thanks and praise, and it's wrong and unjust to not acknowledge God. And so what we're looking at here is how to make a good omelet with rotten eggs, you know? <laughs> not just because there's a kind of public atheism that prevails throughout all the conversation, where you can't even have recourse to the natural moral law, much less to the higher forms of justice, and even much more to the supernatural grace that alone heals nature. You know, and so I think we, we have to dig this tunnel from both sides, as you've heard me say before, you know, the natural and the supernatural, yeah. nature and grace, yeah. because right. grace and nature are united. They're not confused. They're not opposed. They're united. And grace is the only way that nature will be healed. And so that's why I say this is sort of pre-apologetic, and yeah. then apologetics is sort of pre-evangelistic, but we, we don't want to postpone the good news too long because... Apart from the grace of Christ, this stuff won't get fixed. No. Yeah. Y- yeah. You bring some uh, moral language to a secular audience that 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 uh, thinks uh, uh, the landfills are abominable. You, you give uh, <laughs> understanding of consumerism, uh, you know, to those who, uh, for the secular mind, would have no moral framework. But you're actually articulating what they, they even in the core of their being, they've they got want to say it. it. They, they do, but they don't have it. that. They don't language. have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but then, then you go even further. I mean, my wife and I gave, uh, you know, a, a talk on, on, you know, contraception in a, in a non-GMO world. I mean, you're, you're pointing out contradictions that they're living in their own lives where they would never touch a food that has been, you know, it's all organic, <laughs> yeah. and all, but yeah. they'll pump chemicals into their body to yeah. control their known nature. Yes. You know, this, is the, this is the contradiction right. that our culture they're lives in, stuff. right? Yeah. And it, it really is trying to compartmentalize yeah. and, and obfuscate all the, it's the truth weird. of nature. It's so odd because you're thinking, if you don't, if you treat nature with such reverence, what are you doing to your body? Right, right. You know, if somebody did that to another animal, right. like if they snuck out and, and, and put contraceptions, right, contraceptives right, yeah. into the grass or something so that well, how, how we're, do we, they right, say, right, don't do that. That's right, all. How, how do we disabuse people of this? Uh, because, I mean, for example, contraception, mm. it is a lie. You're right. taking drugs and plugs and there's nothing wrong with you. You're suppressing a perfectly natural biochemical process, yeah. ovulation, but you're not sick. Why do you do this? Yeah. I mean, how do we appeal to people like that? Uh, I, you know, it's, a, a, well, uh, you, one thing you ask for grace, because you never know what will catch them. Like, there's a, a part of the book where I talk about the effects of the pill entering, um, entering the, literally the streams, the water streams, and affecting fish. So they, so they actually become infertile and right. the populations die out. You say, well, how can you say that that's a good thing? If you're environmentalist, you say you're, you're disrupting the natural life of right. these poor trout, right. and they can't breed, and they're dying out. Yeah. You know, why is it good to do to you but not to them? Yeah. You know, it, it seems to me that we're, 
we're surprised by things that shouldn't be surprising anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the last century or two, I mean, we have been led by the nose through rhetoric like workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but right. your chains. Well, you'll lose your chains and we'll forge gulags and concentration camps yeah. for national socialism and international socialism. Why are we surprised that this kind of thing not only leads to a blind alley, but it blinds those who walk down with eyes that could see? I mean, I think that what we ought to recognize is, you know, when St. Paul says we're saved by faith, you know, not by works the law, we're, we're saved by grace, not law. You know, we're, we're saved by faith, not reason, not even natural reason, not even the natural law. You know, I was reading recently this woman who's describing her conversion to the Catholic faith from a gay lifestyle. And, you know, she now believes in the natural law, embraces it, teaches it, all of that. But she said, I was saved by hearing about Jesus dying for my sins, yeah. you know. And I think that grace alone is what begins the very difficult process for moral ecology within a person yeah. that takes a lifetime. You know, only when you get a lot of people repenting a lot are you going to actually see this thing reversed. Right. You know, because right. it's not just that we're consuming too many packaged products. If we slow down, then the landfill will be filled in slow motion. You know, <laughs> we have to look at <laughs> urban true. culture. Yeah. We have to look at the factory system. Yeah. The, you yeah. know, the, the, the dissolution of the family that goes yeah. back three or four centuries. Yeah. You know, but I think we have to look at our consciences, examine them, and say, mea maximo culpa more often. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. You know, I, I think uh, that's, that's going to your uh, point. You know, St. Thomas has a great dictum, every existence as such is good. Mm. Uh, but I don't know that that's widely uh, uh, assumed anymore. There is a secret poison of Manichaeanism oh, that yeah. has smuggled itself in, insinuated itself deep down in the human psyche. The notion that really life is not so good, yeah. maybe it's bad. Maybe the world was made by some fallen deity, some damn demiurge uh, mm. fashioned it as, as a gesture of, of, uh, of reprisal and yeah. hatred, vindictiveness toward the spirit God. He's getting even, and the result is a material world, and we're stuck in it, yeah. and we've got to escape. So suicide becomes an act of virtue, not having babies, saying no to life yeah. is a way of affirming it's the highest value. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kill yourself. And we're still yeah. surprised. I know, I know. Like well, but the, the beauty of it is that you're offering at least an opportunity to say, this is the moral framework of why this is wrong yeah. uh, in the environment. Therefore, isn't this as equally, if not even more so, the moral pollution? Uh, that well, it's, it's a, an attempt to recover that original wonder and awe at nature. Yeah, and you can't right. do that if you have the wrong view of it, if that's you think right. it's accidentally that's contrived. Right. But the good news is those who are, when you hear them affirm the beauties of nature, they, they really come out with that natural awe. Right. Uh, that, because they believe they can get away with it there. And, or not get away with it, but in a sense that it, that it gets away with them. They, right. they, they naturally they look at these things and the result is wonder and all, and why do you yeah. violate it? And yeah. what I'm trying to do in the book is say, what if your own nature right. were even more wonderful, but not detached from that? You don't, it's not an either or. Right. You don't have to choose. Yeah. But if you violate your own nature to such a point where the moral landscape of your soul looks like Mordor, uh, looks like a polluted landfill, you're not going to see that beauty. In the same way that if we, if we cover everything over with concrete, we're not going to see the beauty of God's creation. We're going to see very ordinary bleakness. And in that situation, you're the, the all and the beauty and the gratitude uh, can't arise. And we need to get them the all and the beauty and the gratitude for 
the order of human nature. I want to pick this up on the next segment. Uh, stay with us. Many pro-life conservatives, which I would call myself, are not as interested in, not as concerned about the environment. But he spends the whole first half of the book in defense of nature, showing the seriousness of what we're doing to the earth, turning it into a garbage heap. And so he woke me up to some things that I had sort of vaguely known, not taken quite as seriously, because it's not on the same level as human life. But it's very serious, and he gets you interested in it. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. We're recording right now in our communication arts studios. Our students are operating the cameras and equipment. Our panelists and actually our guests today are also faculty here at uh, Franciscan University. Um, okay, so Ben, we, we talked about trash. We talked about the, the environment, the impacts, the, the, the landfill and so forth. Um, and we, we began touching on the, the moral pollution. Mm. Uh, but one of the things that you really highlight is the, uh, the pollution that happens in pornography uh, to, to human nature and to our soul. Yeah. And what's, what's important for the flow of the book is that those who are concerned about the environment are happily on board. They understand you're violating the natural order with all this trash. Right. Uh, that's not a good thing. And you're violating it by pouring industrial waste into the streams. Right. Now, if human beings are part of the natural world and they have an order to every aspect of themselves, including their sexuality, is it possible to have verifiable moral pollution? In other words, not just uh, uh, from a, a theological argument uh, that, or uh, from a papal document or from the catechism, but can scientists verify that there is a form of pollution here with uh, porn, especially mm. internet porn. And in this chapter, I actually bring out the, its endless reams of scientific data that show it to be destructive. It's just as, and they know wh why it's destructive and how it's destructive. Yeah, and, and it's it substantial. Has, it's yeah. substantial. It's not like, oh, you feel a little queasy once in a while. It's depression, thoughts of suicide, the inability to actually carry on a conversation, to concentrate, yeah. to hold down a job. To make romantic connections. To make any kind of, yeah. yeah. robotic right. 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 You, you, right. you just Literally, you destroy yeah. sexuality. And, yeah. and you can show that sexuality is destroyed with study after study. By that, you, you simply, like, we literally mean incapable of sex. Yeah. Right. That is, they destroy their sexual nature. If that happened to any other animal... The, 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 you know, the animal rights people would be up in arms and say, what have you done to the elk, right. you know? Yeah. But but happens to human beings, and they're, they're, first of all, surprised that they can't manipulate their sexual nature in any way. And secondly, they're at a loss to figure out what happened. Right. But one thing that is certain now is that scientists from a whole lot of different fields are showing this is the, these are the awful effects of Internet porn. Yeah. And we can look into the brains and verify them. Yeah. It hijacks uh, what we call loosely your pleasure center. Uh, so you become sort of like the rat who keeps pushing the cocaine button and never eats and then just dies. Right. Um, so you have the destruction of sexuality and the destruction of human nature. That is, you become incapable of thinking, of any kind of social interaction. And uh, a lot of the people who are addicted to porn just end up sitting in their rooms. And they can't even talk to a, another male or female. Right. 
and their uh, their uh, capacities for sexual excitation become such that they become like heroin addicts who have to take yeah. more and more and more. Right. So they get more and more distorted and unnatural. Yeah. And as everything becomes more distorted and unnatural, the human being literally falls apart. Right. And we have scientific evidence of that. So it's not that our theological and moral claims have lacked uh, a gravamen. You know, they were always very serious. But now, since you're violating human nature... We could expect that if you continually violate human nature in this extreme form, you can find quite obvious evidence of it. And so no one can say, oh, whatever, yeah, you know, right, or right, unless right. you want to say whatever for the, you know, right. dumping stuff in the rivers. Oh, whatever, right, you know, it's right. just a stream. Well, maybe to try to rescue this death spiral of your analysis, <laughs> uh, you also mention, and, and this I think is, is the ground of hope, that the moment you begin to wean people yeah. off, uh, this deadly habit, they experience a kind of exhilaration. A I've sexual awakening. myself. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and in a very natural sense, uh, there, are, there are all kinds of internet chat rooms now that are dedicated to getting off porn, and they regard porn as a kind of poison. This is, this is which not it is. The, which yeah. it is, but, yeah. but they recognize it, even without being theological, they recognize it as a poison, and as you uh, note, and I quote some people from these chat rooms on this, they, uh, you know, hear this man. He discovers his wife again, yeah. And it's and and her sexual nature and everything about her is just making him wildly alive. So it's as if God is saying, "I'm going to give you supercharge here." Right. So you realize what you were destroying, and they become, in a way, the best evangelists right. about yeah. this. We should bring in and say, "Look, you know." Uh, we can talk about uh, the catechism where you can just demonstrate every truth that's in it. (laughs) But you have to be careful even here. I I appreciate that section of the book, but you know, if you if you break free from porn addiction, and you end up in an internet chat, and you end up, you know, internet addiction is yeah, also yeah, internet talk is about good. Yeah, yeah. breaking free from the screen. You have a great section on that is coming back to nature, you know, and so it's like getting off of heroin now on methadone yeah. or some other opioid yeah. that's even stronger. Yeah. You know, uh, this is why I'm saying so many moving parts. This is so complicated. You know, if we're going to leave this to natural moral law, you know, natural law, or even political, you know, or this is this is a council of despair, mm. you know, and so we've got to come back to the truth that God alone yeah. can yeah. Right. reconcile us. and, yeah. and, and Christ, heal us, really. Yeah. But He wants to more than we want Him to. That He's capable of doing more than we even recognize the need yeah, for. You know, part of the great pathos that surrounds this uh, this issue is the fact that women, who obviously are the chief victims. Of, of internet pornography have yet become more susceptible yeah. uh, to it. They yeah. too uh, right. uh, have it's fallen. Unf- yes. Yes. yes, it's unfortunate, and what we see happening is a destruction of of natural sexuality. It doesn't happen in any other animal. Find mm-hmm. one where this happens. That's right. Uh, where males and females simply lose interest in each other. The death of eros. The death of eros, and by this passage in uh, um, Humana Vitae struck me when I was researching the book because it took the Pope talks, Pope Paul VI talks about women, if, if you introduce contraception, you'll release sexual, the, the, the um, sexual pleasure from any natural goal right. and it will spiral out and women will become mere objects. Yeah. And you think, okay, well that's sort of philosophical talk. Yeah. You, know, you objectify women. Well, lo and behold, now, now the biggest industry in regard to perversion is the creation literally of objects 
who are women, that is, sex bots. Yeah. And robots that are... Yeah. Robots that, and, that completely replace right. the, 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 the opposite gender. And you're thinking, how could it get to be that bad except for a kind of satanic blindness to what is happening? Right. You know, right. you refer to Chesterton calling green grass gray. Yeah. Right. You know, Paul says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness by, uh, and by which they suppress the truth. Yeah. You know, the reason why God gets angry is because the truth of creation is yeah. distorted. The That's truth right. of your lost body. You know, right. if, if our wills won't struggle to rise to the truth that our intellects present, then the wills will drag the intellects down. Yeah. Right. And you won't even end up with a good will. You'll end up with a bad will and a bad intellect. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and you will, you know, how could it ever come to this? At what point you say, nobody would have, you know, imagine Paul VI thinking literally of sex robots in 1968, but he right. was a better prophet than he right. ever thought. Right. right. I know. He had force. He understated. He understated. He had an image. He knew what was coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm struck by a line from uh, Bernard Lonergan who said that sin is a deliberate stupidity. You're doing yeah. it on purpose. Yeah. You know this is perverse and you willfully choose uh, yeah. to, to persist in it. And, and the truth is that people are denying is that the world is charged with God's grandeur. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. The yeah. finger painting of God. So the leftist who stands in awe before the bloody sunset, uh, or the right-winger who says the inner ecology of my body forbids contraception, they, they really need to come together yeah. and say the source of all this is God. Yeah, absolutely. You open yourself up to wonder yeah. at the gift of creation, and that is a matter of... Yeah, who painted this sunset? Yeah, it's... it's, it's, it's well, uh, isn't that recapturing the, yeah. the, the Catholic understanding? Of, it is, uh, and, and as oh. Scott said, it's an act of justice. The first act of justice in having been created is gratitude. Right, right. And that you owe God gratitude, but we already have it. And we say, oh, I owe God gratitude. I've got to stand at this beautiful waterfall uh, in the hills of Tennessee, and I have to force myself to have gratitude. I'm, I'm overflowing it's, it's, with yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, Taking a walk in the woods, you show all of the, yeah. the, 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 the physical, medical benefits of just yeah. regularly walking in the woods. Yeah. See, so let, let's go deeper into this. I mean, let's this do is, it. We, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the sins against nature, mm-hmm. uh, human, and, and, and the environment. So how do we kind of recapture that? Is it is it taking the walk in the woods? Is it what do we do? In order I, I to think it. Think about this. Um, and and again, as, as Scott says, there's you can't just say, oh, it's got to be nature. Oh, it's got to be grace. It's got to be both. Right. But if you have a bad view of nature, it's hard to get grace to hit it. Right. <laughs> it doesn't have a target because you're. You're, you're blinded. But you can't wait till you get a good view of nature in order to get grace. Thank God, <laughs> thank God or we'd, we'd all be dead, uh, in, spiritually dead. Yeah. But we can prepare the ground. That's right. And one of the things that we can do is, and the left calls this greening things, but all they mean by that is there's something beautiful and important and healthy in being around growing things. Well, they have done studies, believe it or not, where simply having a potted plant in the room yeah. increases the good chemical releases in the body, helps you concentrate, makes you healthier, reduces the amount of time you stay in the hospital, mm-hmm. even if you just have a window open that looks on a field. Yeah. And you say, well, theologically, how do I understand that? Well, you understand it because you were born in a beautiful world in a garden, mm-hmm. yeah. and your response was gratitude, and the very trees are breathing health into you, right. yeah. quite yeah. literally, because they're creating oxygen. Yeah. But they also release other chemicals that make you f- feel better. Yeah. Not in the sense that you're drugging yourself up, but it, it's almost like God can't stop doing wonderful things. And he's going to add 
right. the visual beauty to a kind of right, yeah. a chemical, uh, because we are, you know, we are bodies this is are this chemistry. anthropic principle. Yeah, it's there everywhere. God is in all the corners. Is that, right, is that the anthropic principle? Well, the anthropic principle is, is understood theologically, is the, the entire universe is wonderfully, intricately made from its origin all the way down to every aspect of our nature on this earth. Mm. Once you recognize that, you have to say, wait a second, this is not an accident. Wow. No, not an but accident. Anthropos, man, shows, I mean, God doesn't get any benefit from the creation that he was lacking before he made it all. Right. Mm-hmm. So he made it for us, those creatures who bear his image and likeness. And so you can see the human friendliness of the biosphere, you know. Yeah. And I think that when you're pointing this out of the, you know, in the cosmos at every level, from the right. highest, yeah. the yeah. lowest, the pyramid of being, yeah. as you yeah. point out, you know, I, I think that it opens us up to trust, not supernatural faith necessarily, but trusting the maker of this world who has made it, you know, not to get stuff from me like a master from a slave, but to give stuff to me as a benevolent creator. Yeah. And uh, Well, he takes pleasure from the world he made, and particularly yeah. when he looks at us because we image forth yeah. his own being. Yeah, delight. Yeah. He recognizes him. But also as a father, you know, when you when you make a surprise for your children and they laugh, you, you're filled with, that's how God is. You know, he really is a father. Yeah. And so he probably laughs at praying mantises when children discover them because the children are laughing. Yeah. You know, what an absurd and wonderful Well, that's, that's what Chesterton said when, when, when he wanted to prove that God had a sense of humor. He pointed to the hippopotamus. Yes, exactly. <laughs> an, an, an animal that looks as if he didn't exist, but he does. <laughs> There's imagination and there, there is lots of that around. Around. Uh, right. But if you if you if you're to bring a previous point, if you're attached to a screen yes. all the time, yeah, right? yeah. if you learn nature from a textbook which tells you, well, yeah, um, actually everything is just made of randomly contrived molecules, um, and uh, you yourself, the feeling of beauty that you get, well, that's a chemical reaction. Right. It really doesn't have any source beyond that. It's deadening your soul and darkening it at the same time. And so I do actually treat why you have to revive science to understand that uh, it shouldn't take a reductionist account at all. It ruins science. You need to look at things on the level that they appear to us as human beings and as real. Uh, And uh, in order to uh, affirm this, I actually look at scientists complaining about scientists. Scientists complaining that their fellow scientists have never been out in the field and never looked at nature. They have no appreciation of bugs and trees. They don't even understand them. They just sit on a computer and they mash formulas in regard to chemical reactions. They say, this is not natural science. Right. Mm-hmm. Natural science is to get out in nature. So we really need a new view of science. A biology book should not be 75% molecular biology and then a few animals tacked on as an after effect. Right. Yeah. So it's elevating science and, and our understanding well, It's of elevating science and understanding of nature to, to the world, literally to the level in which human beings are the the knowers this is the level we are that's the level biblical revelation jesus talks about fig trees about mountains clouds the sun animals and if that's not real then revelation isn't about anything yeah stay with us for the final segment Another wonderful thing about this book is the scientific evidence that drives home the destruction of pornography. But he really proves it in an eye-opening way, and it's worth reading. But on the positive side, when he uses science to show 
uh, the glories of the true marital union and how it brings husband and wife together on so many levels, physically, psychologically, spiritually. He uses science not in a reductionistic way, but to support the personalist level of being, to support the spiritual. Previous generations have spent more time outside looking at nature, discovering its genius and its beauty. And doing that, I think, creates a very natural appreciation and wonder and sort of lifts us up to look uh, at the transcendent. But if we don't ever look up and look out, you know, from our screens, it's so hard to have a natural appreciation for nature itself and therefore for nature's God. So if we want to recover that, we have to recover a sense of wonder and awe at uh, and of nature's beauty itself. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy. And you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily Mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu pilgrimages. Welcome back to the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. Um, Regis, would you start us off? Yeah, uh, what a wonderful book you've written, Ben. I'm, I'm so grateful to, uh, to have read it. Uh, it sets off sparks, literally, on every page, even the pages about pornography, mm-hmm. which are otherwise so depressing. <laughs> uh, you, you manage to cast a piercing light upon the problem and to make provision for some genuine hope. Uh, and that's what I think uh, fires the book uh, uh, in every chapter. It also reminds me of so many other books. Uh, For example, Lewis, The Abolition of Man. I kept thinking of that conversation uh, that he uh, recounts between the poet Coleridge uh, and a couple of uh, day trippers who have come to this (laughs) cataract, this waterfall. And one guy says, oh, this is pretty. But the other guy says, no, it's sublime. Mm. And Coleridge mentally endorses the judgment that it's sublime. So it's really a matter of teaching people how to see reality. Mm. And that reminded me of of the dedication of a beautiful little book by Lorenzo Albacetti called God at the Ritz, which he dedicated to Luigi Giussani because it was Luigi who showed me the Milky Way. Mm. Uh, He lit up uh, the night sky. And then uh, Tom Howard's book, Hmm. a drop everything book, Chance or the Dance, which he dedicates to his old mentor, Professor Kirby, I think, because he took my arm and said, look, Mm. and I gazed uh, upon the heavens. Mm. And Howard's book is is so wonderful. The title uh, is is inspired, Chance or the Dance. Mm. I mean, is, is life just a random, arbitrary concatenation of atoms? swirling about in this stupid, aimless universe? Or is it a dance? Mm. Is there some choreography, a pattern, an order? And you defend and and uphold that thesis in such a compelling and and attractive way. I hope everybody buys your book. Mm. (laughs) Thanks, Regis. Scott. Yeah, you know, 194 books on Amazon dealing with internet addiction. Mm. You know, Mm. I, I think there's probably more than 200 now. Uh, four years ago, uh, the last of our six kids uh, was just turning 14, and we had homeschooled for 26 years, but never one of the kids alone. This was the first. And so 
uh, he realized very soon this was not a good thing. You know? <laughs> so we realized that there was an alternative. I'm not going to name the school, but we sent him to an all-boys school out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the Integrated Humanities Program of John Sr. back in the 70s was the inspiration for the curriculum. And so he went out, no cell phones, no laptops, no TV, no radio, you know, one landline for all 50 boys, you know, 9 through 12. And you know, all science was natural science. You go out there, yep. you know, and you slaughter the lamb, you know, and you play rugby, which is a kind of thing, if done right, is a sort of natural culture, that, you know. And, you know, we watched for three years a transformation. I mean, the kid is not a saint, not even close to canonizability, but uh, the, the transformation of being in the woods, the sleepovers, you know, the pilgrimage through the... Uh, through Italy for three weeks at the end after they'd graduated, where they're sleeping out in the fields every night, singing for the money that they need for their food and learning, at, like John Bosco taught his boys, how to trust God and his love. And, you know, I, I see that not just in my son, but in all of the other kids. And, you know, we want to replicate that kind of thing because, you know, at that age, they're not entirely innocent, but they're not entirely despoiled. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for our kids, for our grandkids, for our godchildren, you know, for me, the takeaway is to get back to nature, look at it through the, the, the eyes that God has given us, but then also the eyes of faith, uh, the mind of Christ, because it doesn't in any way diminish nature. It just, you know, enlarges and practically sacramentalizes it as well. You know, so I want to thank you for the book. I'm grateful that we at Emmaus got to publish it. And I look forward to even more uh, attempts to kind of broaden and expand nature because I, I do think we need this sort of pre-apologetics, yeah. mm-hmm. that we need to open people up to the wonder of the world and just how trustworthy the maker of this world is. And then to find out that he sent his son to save us, how good can it get? Yeah, what, what, what else could you ask for? And we didn't have thought of that. Right. You know, so it's always better. But that's, that's, in a way, how creation is. We have a dead view of creation, uh, and it's really, it's, it's like Shakespeare. It's got an endless depth uh, and beyond that. And so hopefully what this book will do uh, is that it will allow the left and the right to come together and stop arguing against each other and realize that if we embrace nature properly, uh, understanding its beauty and its order and integrity, we'll be better off, the environment will be better off, Catholics especially should understand this is central to our understanding of the relationship of nature and grace. And so my hope is the Catholics will take up this book and then actually study nature, actually know something about it. And maybe you can form friendships with those people you would never, right. ever talk to because they reject the moral understanding of the Catholic Church. Right. But you will make headway in that friendship and common ground in regard to your appreciation of nature. And that, by the grace of God, will lead them to embrace moral ecology. So hopefully it has that apologetic form uh, out in the world. Right. So it needs, yeah. But it needs to get out there. You know, yeah, that's the trick. But the experience of contemplation and awe out in the world, yes. I think that's what you're pointing us to. That's what my son experienced. That's yeah. what this book instills in us, mm. the mm. drive, the longing for that. Mm. That is powerful. That is powerful. Well, uh, Dr. Weicker, thank you for this program. Thank you for this book. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's program, you can get uh, chapter one of the book. Uh, Want to go a little deeper. Um, he also has actually on Faith and Reason. Uh, you, can, you can get it online at Faith and Reason or just for asking. But he also has videos that he goes through uh, this topic and 
and the understanding of Catholic ecology in greater depth. Um, when we think about our world and the place we have in it, we need to reveal, we need to pull back that curtain uh, for our children and our grandchildren. Uh, we need to recognize that, that we are our stewards uh, and that we are part of this creation. There is a, a, a beauty to being at Franciscan University who was so zealous for the gospel, but a lover of nature, but never making nature uh, a god, but really something to appreciate, to, to be a joy uh, in celebrating and, and, and giving praise to the Creator, because that is mark on all of us. We are part of God's handiwork, and we are the crown of <clears throat> creation, uh, but we have a place in this universe, and we need to think big. We want a whole world that thinks about Catholic uh, ecology in this way, and really having that framework, but also we can act small and just, just begin with our, ourselves, begin with the ways that we are better stewards, more wise and prudent in the way that we, we leverage the resources and the, and the stewardship we have in this creation. Um, I want to invite you to be a part of Franciscan University's mission. Uh, our mission is to educate, to evangelize, and send forth joyful disciples. And I want to invite you maybe to get your degree here on campus in, in Steubenville, Ohio, or through our online programs. Uh, you need to be educated and equipped uh, for this day and age. Uh, we also want to invite you to be a part of our dynamic and inspiring summer conferences, whether it be a high school or whether it be adults, to come and be a part of the transformation that happens at these conferences, as well as travel with us on pilgrimages to holy shrines and walk in the footsteps of saints and even our Lord through the Holy Land. Uh, come with us. And then go to faithandreason.com where you've got a treasure trove uh, of, of tools to equip you for the new evangelization. Uh, all of these are here because we want you to be the transforming presence of Christ in our world. Uh, thank you for watching our show, and until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740-283-6357.